Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and lots of other podcast platforms. There are links to Now Hear This Entertainment on at least a half dozen podcast apps at nhte.net. In addition to what's listed there, the show is also on the likes of Overcast, Himalaya, Podcoin, Player FM, and more. Joining me today on location at the Summer NAM show in Nashville, my guest is a singer, songwriter, and guitar player who lives right here in Music City. She has an upcoming feature with Sirius XM and will be returning as the headliner at the KIX Country Fest in Daytona. It is said that she takes country from your grandpa's front porch soundtrack and turns it into your daughter's backwoods anthem. You've been hearing a song of hers called Like a Lady. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Hannah Anders. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank Good you to for meet having you. me. Yeah, my pleasure. Go ahead and tell the listeners all about that song of yours that we were just playing called Like a Lady. Like a Lady. You know, this is a song, um, I my album is a mixture of songs that I've written and songs that have been pitched to us. And Like a Lady was one that actually got pitched to us by another writer. And um, if I hear a good song, I'm going to run with it. You know, there's so many great songwriters that don't perform and don't sing and they need that avenue for their songs to get out. And there was something about Like a Lady that felt so empowered and sassy and fun and so um not only was i really really happy to record it i was really happy that it was a single and it's just one of those songs live too that's just got a lot of energy and it's just a super fun well-written song in my humble opinion and uh we love performing that one so talk about the difference when you go into the studio to record a song that you wrote yourself versus a song that someone else wrote for you is there a more strong emotional attachment to a song that you wrote on your own and you, I don't want to have to say get in character because we know that once you get in a studio, everything is going to show through on the recording and you have to bring the same energy to every song. But is there, is there a bias? Do you have to overcome okay, this song I have to try a little harder at because I didn't write it, or, or am I overthinking all of this? No, that's a great question. You know, I, I really think that... Um I wouldn't cut another songwriter's song if I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. If it didn't speak to me in a way that I almost feel like, man, I wish I'd written this song. If I don't feel like that, I'm probably not going to cut the song to begin with. I have songs that I've written that I'm like, oh, man, if I never sing that again, it'll be okay. <laughs> you know. And then there's songs that have been pitched to us that I love so much that I feel like are my story. And because I feel that way... You know, and, and as far as getting in the studio with them, the process is still very much the same. A lot of times when songs get pitched to you, it's rare that full production is done. And in this case, it was just a guitar vocal. Wow. So it was it allowed the band and the producer and myself to sit down and really bring like a lady to life in a way that 
we would have brought it to life if we had written it. So there's still, you still have your fingerprint on it a little bit. And I think that the cool thing is you could pitch three different artists the same song and it would probably come out completely differently if they just all started with a guitar vocal. Yeah, I was going to say, if it's just as bare bones as you described it, you're going to develop it in a way that fits your brand and your sound. And someone else is going to develop it in a manner that fits their brand and their sound. And you're going to go, wow, okay, it's a different spin. I don't know that I would have done that with it, but it doesn't make it wrong. That's right. It's just not the way that I would have developed it. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's good. That's good. But what about there's no rehearsal then that's required because the song hasn't been developed yet. It's not a case of, I didn't write this, so I need to rehearse it more before I go in the studio. You know, we do as a band. Some people may not. In the particular case of Like a Lady, it was pitched to us before, long before we cut the album. So we did actually work it out as a band um, before it ever got into the studio. It was pretty much a fully formed idea by the time we went to cut this record. So... Um, one of my favorite things to do is sit down with my band and whether it's a guitar vocal from somebody else or it's a guitar vocal that I've written, sit down and let all these different creative minds get their brain around it. And, oh, what if we add this? Or what if we put this guitar harmony? Or, and that's to me when that's the fun part. And that's essentially pre-production, right? And you want to try to do as much of that as you can um, before you go in the studio, although some of that is done in the studio for sure. There were definitely songs on this album that got written and and worked out right there on the spot in the studio. So this one, we had some time with it. Well, and that's also what a producer gets paid for. That's right, yeah. If they're good at their craft. That's right. That's that's where they earn their money. Absolutely. Two days ago was your debut performance at NAMM? Yes. You performed on the Avid stage. Tell the listeners about that whole experience. That was so fun. I've attended NAMM a few times Um both in Anaheim and here. And um, so this was the first time I've gotten to perform, as you said, and um, that's my first love in life anyway is to perform. So to get to perform actually for mostly for people that are lovers of music and gear and the sort of all of us little music nerds in one place together, that's kind of a fun thing, right? Because um, most of the time that's not who you're performing to. So that was really cool. And um, the weather held out just long enough for us. I think we hit our last downbeat and the sky went boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so it was, had we started 15 seconds later on our last song, it would have like been the most perfect thunder strike ever, but a few <laughs> seconds delay. Um, and we very quickly scurried off that stage because I think there were some lightning bolts, but it was, it was great. And uh, we actually had a really, really nice crowd out there. They hung in with us, even though the wind was blowing and looked like the rain was coming but it was it was a great time yeah it's been very impressive they've done a great job of of getting people out there for a lot of the different shows that i've seen and it's got to make you feel great because it's also right here in the city that you live in yes that you're getting to perform it's so rare in your own backyard yeah yeah but is there any i don't want to say mind games that go on but all of a sudden you're looking out and you're going okay this isn't just the typical music buying public these are industry people who i don't know who might hear something and want to do something with me and even though that's always the mindset it's different because it's these are nam attendees right i didn't even think about it i feel like we give the same show no matter what whether there's five people five thousand people grandma grandpa or sony executive they're going to get exactly the same show so i don't think about it any other way okay so now is that going to fuel you to now want to perform at winter nam in Uh, anaheim of course (laughs) i lived in los angeles for a long time Ah. so part of my heart is always there it's always good to go back and i would love to perform at winter nam that would be awesome so let's talk more being that 
you're not a, a NAM rookie. Just in terms of the shows that you've gone to, do you have any endorsements currently? Are you hoping to make some new connections when you when you come to NAM? Is there any? I don't know if you've even had a chance to walk the show. I any cool just gear that had you saw? a chance to walk the floor. Um, you know, I am in the market for some new in-ear monitors. It's about time. My last set of in-ear monitors, I was actually endorsed at NAMS like so many years ago by Sensophonics um, and got my in-ears from them. And they've been awesome, but it's been several years now. So I might go do a little, a little lap and uh, see what's what in the in-ear monitor department. And what about just the NAM shows that you've attended? The booths aside, have you been able to make some connections, whether it is with companies or whether it's with artists that you've seen or anyone that you've just sat down with and said, wow, if it wasn't for Nam, I would have never met this person. I don't, not yet. Not yet. I, um, you know, my, my very long time partner and, and record producer, um, Daniel Ford, he is endorsed by a lot of software and gear companies. And so usually I've attended with him and he's always speaking or he's at one of the booths or, so I tend to just sort of meander with him and it's really funny because out in the in day-to-day life I'm the artist and so spotlight Mm. tends to be on the band and what we're doing and then we walk into Nam and it's like the roles reverse and everyone's like oh my god Dan and they're so happy to see him so um I mostly just try to be in a support role when I'm at Nam um for him but to be honest I it's been several years since I've been at Nam it's probably been about three or four years since I've attended a Nam so um We'll see. TBD, that's a great question. I will let you know when I make that, like, NAM connection that is true to NAM. That wouldn't have happened any other way. It sounds like you were due to get back. So, it sounds like and, it, and yeah. it, I think I think it was meant to be this year because what a what a 2019 you're having. You had two CMA performances I did. this year. Tell our listeners about those. Was that your first CMA Fest performance? No, I think that was my third CMA Fest. It was great. It was great. CMA Fest this year was was in crazy we had so much going on we had so many meet and greets and and media rooms and press interviews and performances there was one point where i was across broadway doing a writer's round and i had to literally i had like seven minutes to end that writer's round i think i rudely got up before the last round started and said i am so sorry everybody i have to go and booked it across to make it to a signing booth back in music city center so cma was a little crazy but it should be if it's not like that then you're not doing (laughs) cma right it should be totally nuts so it was a really good time though i don't remember who i asked this to recently one of the interviews that i did here at summer nam we were talking about south by southwest and i think it was emily wolf and i know it was emily wolf because she's from austin and she played south by southwest So I'm going to ask this to you in the same way that I asked her, which is I said, understand the spirit with which I'm asking this, which is what is the benefit to playing at CMA Fest? And I'm saying that, listeners, if this was a video podcast, you see I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders. And I'm saying it meaning that I don't mean, uh, big deal, what's the benefit of providing? I mean the exact opposite. I'm saying it maybe for those who don't understand what it is or for those who are listening that are young up-and-coming performers themselves that say, I hear all about CMA Fest, but I don't, I don't understand what what do they get out of playing? Do they get... Because all the young people want to know is, do you get paid? No. Every, every opportunity in the music business that they hear of, yeah. South by Southwest, CMA Fest, 
uh, I got to play at such and such. No matter what it is, the first question is always about money, and and that shouldn't always be what it is. I'm just saying, yeah. what are the benefits to someone of playing at CMA Fest? Because you know, Emily said that. Quite frankly, South by Southwest is a great resume filler. Absolutely. You know, CMA Fest, so, you know, the pay question is a funny thing. You're right. As far as being an artist, obviously, we need to hold ourselves to a certain level of value that we're compensated and paid for our time. There's a lot of people in the business that don't really understand, and I think artists get abused quite a bit because you get you know, exposure. And it's like, well, I can't cash that. So how do I work with that? Can't but pay the cell phone bill exactly, or the electric bill with but, exposure. You know, on that same sentence, I'll tell you that there are absolutely moments where exposure is worth its weight in gold and CMA Fest and South by Southwest. And some of these really big festivals are absolutely where that comes into play. As far as I understand, most, if not all artists do not get compensated for CMA Fest. It is something that um, the country music world has come together and done for the fans. And um, the unique thing about CMA Fest is that you're talking about two or 300,000 people in one city in this one little downtown area. And the thing that they all have in common is that they love country music. And they're people from all over the world. And when, you, when I did the signing booth and you're standing there and it's just a line and you're talking to people and they're from... Obviously, Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia, and then it's Germany and it's London and it's Italy and it's all these fans and different walks of life, all kinds of kinds, but they all love country music. Tell the listeners how big my eyes got when you said 200,000 or yeah, 300,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, wow. nothing will top the year that CMA Fest crossed over with the Predators in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm. This downtown area. I think they said it was about 500,000 people here. It was that CMA Fest. I remember we were trying to navigate Broadway to get to our next gig. We couldn't even move. I mean, it was just... It was just crazy between those two things. Okay, but I believe that as an artist, you're able to sell merch at at CMA Fest? Um, you... No, not really. It's not really... Yes, you can, I'm sure, at some... At some of the performances, I have not done a performance yet at CMA Fest where selling merch was, um, there's like a word I want to use for that. It just wasn't appropriate, I guess is the right word. It's, I'm sure there are situations where it is appropriate, but at the meet and greets, for example, like I just, I just gave away signed eight by tens and things like that. And the guest that I'm referring to listeners was Beth Marie Anderson, who lives in Western Canada. I thought that when she was on this show that she said that the lesson that she learned was that she way overbought, meaning she brought way, way, way too much merchandise. And someone told her, listen, you're new, you're just starting out. Like, you don't need all that stuff. That's like right. just focus on a few merchandise items that will work for you and push those. But That's unless right. your name is Luke Bryan That's or right. Jason Aldean, people aren't going to spend their $10 no. on your item. They're going to spend their $10 on his. And not when it costs what it does to get into CMA Fest. If they're going to spend money beyond that pass, it's exactly. It's going to be for the big artists that they're here to see. The, my other tip about merchandise is think about it this way. If it's not easy to hold or they can't use it in the moment, they're not going to buy it. So if you're in the middle of a summer tour, koozies, handkerchiefs, stickers, 
you know, T-shirts, but sometimes you see merch and I think to myself, I wouldn't want to carry that around, you know, and I don't wouldn't want to pay $25 to carry it around. <laughs> so give people stuff they can actually, like a koozie is great. I sell more koozies than probably anything else because people can just stick it right on their drink and it's a little good branding reminder as they walk around. And, but yeah, CMA Fest is not, I don't really focus on pushing the merch. I focus on... On feeding the fan. That's really what CMA Fest is. Okay, you about. might have just come up with with the one exception then to the, to my rule because when I go out as a speaker, I, when I talk to small businesses about marketing and about PR and stuff like that, I will say, if somebody gives me one more koozie, I swear I'm going to throw it in the garbage. <laughs> but the reason is, is I tell people have a promotional product that people can easily equate with your brand exactly. or what you do. And if you're in the trades, you know if you're a home handyman then give me a little screwdriver that actually works but it's a magnet that you can stick on your fridge so when all of a sudden the garbage disposal doesn't work or the dishwasher and you need a screwdriver you grab it and then you see the guy's website address on there if you give me a koozie and you're a cpa what does one have to do with the other if you're an attorney why would i think of you because i have a koozie no that's a great point but you make a good point in that okay if it's a festival if especially if you're an artist that plays the fairs and festivals circuit a lot Bring koozies. Bring the koozies. People are going to want to keep that. That's right. It's hot. They want their drinks to stay cold. And, you know, country music and alcohol, I'm pretty sure they were, like, born at the same time. So. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have our researchers check into that. Yes, report back the numbers. <laughs> In the meantime, listeners, I just do it all the time, but I have to tell you all about Tascam because they're so good to me. All the great gear that I have from them. Tascam is part of how I'm able to make this trip to Nashville, meaning I know that I'm going to have equipment that I can record with once I get here. They don't pay for me to be here, but I do use their equipment, whether I'm on location or whether I'm back at home base. Right now, Hannah and I are talking into TM60 microphones from Tascam. We're recording into the DR44WL, the handheld recorder. I choose to use external microphones, but it does have two built-in microphones on there. I said before, i got to get the DR70D so that I have more inputs than just two for these times when I've get guests that show up that are an entire band and there's four people crowding around one yeah. microphone and then me on mine. And of course, back at home, I've got the TM280 microphone, which I love because it just accentuates the low end in my voice. I've got the US42, the mini studio creator. That's the audio interface that is particularly favorable for podcasters. But whatever you're doing in music, if you're just recording demos, even just song ideas that you want to sing into a handheld recorder like that, or if you're doing EPs on your own, if you're recording your live shows, get on Tascam's website and look at all the different solutions that they have. They know a thing or two about the recording business. They've been in business for more than 40 years, and you've heard guests on this show talk about the Tascam products that they've used. Everyone from Roy Orbison Jr., when I talked to him, and he told me all about that Roy Orbison Sr., the legend he himself used Tascam, and so T-A-S-C-A-M.com is where you want to go to look at all the things that they have available for your recording needs, Tascam.com. Hannah, let's do some background setting. There's okay. 147 countries around the world where we've been fortunate to get listeners from, so Yay. some of them are just being introduced to you for the first time. Where did it all begin for you? My my parents say I sung before I spoke. <laughs> I was I was a very... Um, dramatic child <laughs> and 
and I would act things out and sing and dance. And, and so my parents said at a really young age, they just knew that I was, and I, I come by it honestly, I have a really musical family. Um, and I got really fortunate in that I had parents that nurtured it. They, they weren't parents that were like, oh no, a musician, you know, they were, they were really encouraging. And, and so, um, I was always in choir and, voice lessons and piano lessons. My grandma was my first piano teacher. And it's funny because my generation of musicians, we were sort of ahead of the YouTube, Facebook, Instagram pop and behind the change of the the label world. So we kind of like, it was a sort of strange time to be coming up in the music business. But, um, and then I went to Belmont and I got my degree in commercial voice there and um, graduated and had this degree and knew that I wanted to sing and I decided to open a vocal studio I was and say, coach. It sounds like somewhere in there had to be the decision where you came to grips with this is what I want to do. Like I came from a musical family and I came out of the womb singing as they say, but at some point you still have to make that conscious decision though that as much as I enjoy it, no, I actually think I want to make a career out of this. I think I, I don't ever think it was in question. Wow. Ever, ever. Wow. I, I don't ever remember being on a different path. I mean, I, I remember being 14 and going in the studio and cutting original songs for the first time. Mm. So there was never another option for me um, as far back as I can remember. Well, this is a, it's not a difficult question. It's an, it's an awkward question to phrase because okay. <laughs> I once asked somebody, how does, you hear about these parents all the time that, oh, my, my kid is great he or she should get into and and so I asked this guest what happens and they said well you should ask my parents and you know and I also encourage people all the time like mom and dad love you mom and dad are going to encourage you and they're going to say that you're great but you need an uninterested third party to tell you if you're actually good so I don't know if I'm asking you for advice for parents or if I'm asking you for (laughs) advice for the 14 year old who says I'm ready to go into the studio you know how do you know when it's actually legit and it's not just, you know, my daughter has a real good voice. How, how does somebody know, like, no, this is, this is actually a thing. Like, we need to actually develop this, and whether that's the 14-year-old or whether it's the parents. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to it via this path. I opened a vocal studio out of college because I had a degree. I didn't want to work for anybody. I wanted the flexibility to be on the road and tour, and so I had this degree in voice and I thought what am I going to do with that and so I started to coach voice and I ended up doing that really successfully um, and have coached people on the voice and Disney and Nickelodeon and all kinds of different things so I've taught a lot of 14 year olds a lot and I've had a lot of parents in my office and in my studio um, who think that their child is like the second coming and so my advice as an artist and as a coach and as a human is to the parents first I think that you have to remember that first and foremost, it doesn't matter how talented your child is. If they're not doing the work and they're not getting put in the right situations, nobody cares that you're just a good singer. There's a million great singers in the world. You have to flex that muscle. You have to do the work. You have to be, you have to have the work ethic and you need to make sure your child really wants it. I have a lot of, a lot of stage parents. But when you say they're not doing the work, do you mean that they're not putting in the time in between lessons? I mean, just not even just on the vocals, but yes, absolutely. I mean, there's so many people that want to go do this and they come to a lesson, you know, once a week and they've done nothing in between and they just expect that they sound pretty and they look pretty and isn't that great. And no, there's nothing special about you sounding pretty and looking pretty. It's like 
What else? You know, on top of that, are you engaging uh, with uh, your content on your social media? Are you putting music out? Are you covering songs? There's so many platforms that people, musicians have now that were not available. Yeah, there's this thing called YouTube that's going to be pretty big I someday. think that's going to be a big deal. To, it's yeah, to catch, Instagram, it's that might catch little, on. Uh, I don't yeah. think so. No, that one's going nowhere. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, there's a there's a level of work ethic required by somebody to be in the music business, and most singers specifically forget that it's a music business. They just want to be pretty and sing, and I'm sorry, but like, <clears throat> boring. I mean, there's got to be an extra fire inside of you. So I think that, and I, and I, in the same breath, there's people that aren't the best singers that have phenomenal careers because they have the work ethic and the drive and the passion. Such as? Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Well, because 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 I, I do feel like I do feel like no, at some point in time there is so much competition out there. You do got to have a good voice. You do have to have a something. You have to have, be a great songwriter, or you've got to have a voice that gets people. But you don't have to have the best voice. There's a lot of beautiful voices that people cannot connect to the person because there's just a something missing. So I agree. I think for longevity, there's got to be substance to the talent. But I think that. Do you need to be the best singer? Do you need to be a powerhouse belter to become a successful artist? No. Yeah. Do you need to have the drive and the work ethic and the ability to grow and take feedback? And if somebody sits you down and says, hey, you've got pitch problems, you need a vocal coach, are you going to puff your chest out and be an inegomaniac? Or are you going to take the feedback and go get a vocal coach? You okay, know? so let me ask you this. It must be difficult. I'm putting on my hat as a business owner yeah. and say it must be difficult if – Someone brings someone to you and they think, my daughter's terrific. We're just bringing her to you because she just needs to be polished up. And in fact, no, your daughter's actually really not that good. Yeah, it's happened. But I would think that some parents are going to say, that's why you want the lessons. And four weeks in, two months in, you're going to say, your daughter's just really not that good. She shouldn't be singing. Well, that, well then I guess you're not good at your job. Like, right. Why are we paying you? So right. how do you walk that line to get... Because the, cause the problem that... The, the risk that gets run is now a parent says, well, we're just going to find you another vocal coach. And the poor kid is being pushed into something that they shouldn't be doing. obviously not cut out for. Yeah. Um, you know what? I really... I'll tell you what. I think, first of all, that with the right training, as long as somebody is not tone deaf, that's really the only person I can't teach. If you can't match pitch, you can't really be taught. Um, everybody improves with voice lessons. You're talking about a muscle group. It trains like every other muscle group in the body. It still may not mean you're the best singer. There's absolutely room for improvement. And um, it really comes down to what the child or what that student is really looking to accomplish. And a lot of times I'll get students that are like, I really just want to sing and I want to cover some songs on my Instagram page. And that's that. And so who am I to crush that for them? them them Absolutely. And who am I to, you know, I had a, I had a a client for a long time. She was a, wanted to be a Broadway singer, not the best voice in the world, but my God, the work ethic and the determination. And she's now been my client for 10 years mm. and she just headlined her own one woman show in Hollywood at a Broadway no theater. Way. So, you know, who wow. am I to say wow. it's not in the cards wow. for you, you know? Well, and I was going to say, you want to be a Broadway singer. Yeah. You and everybody else. But again, that work ethic is what could uh, could end up landing you on Broadway That's someday. Right. That's right. Well, let's turn the corner here. Your newest release 
is going to be the closing song. So we're going to have you wait to talk about okay. the remix of that song. Yes. The question is about the original release and the radio promotion for the original mix of Lazy River. Tell the listeners all about that. So Lazy River is one that I penned myself with my producer. And um, we were sitting last January in the very, very cold Nashville winter. <laughs> and um, he had sort of come up with the lick on the piano and... and was kind of singing the lick and he was like you know I just feel like it's a song about being on a lake or being on a river or there's something about that and I grew up in Georgia we used to go up to the river and float on a on a tube that was a pastime in the summer and in Helen Georgia and um I said, oh, well, we got to write about a lazy river because I legitimately grew up doing that. And so from that point, the sort of visuals of this song just kind of wrote wrote themselves. Everything just kind of fell into place. I think we wrote this song in like two hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was like four degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's also what makes it easy for you to quote unquote sell from the stage when you're performing it because you wrote it because you lived it. That's right. And so you can visualize every time you're performing that song being yes. back in Georgia. Yes. So does that, so the, the radio promotion also, I want you to talk about that. Does, is that what makes it easier to, I mean, granted, you have to have, I don't know, maybe someone working for you that got you all the radio promo, but you also have to be able to, to be authentic and talk about the song. Yeah. And it probably makes it easier because of what we just said. I think so. Yeah. You definitely, I mean. There's definitely experts in every field. Radio is one of them. If you've got, and I do have have help on the radio side of things. Um, and but yeah, absolutely. I feel like Lazy River specifically. If I'm asked about it, I have a very direct answer as to where that idea came from and why that song has been so fun and why it was worth remixing and and all of that. So um, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And listeners, unfortunately, what I'm about to ask is going to already have happened by the time this episode comes <laughs> out. But I still think it's so cool that I want to give Hannah a chance to talk about it anyways. You have an upcoming feature with Sirius XM. Yes. Tell the listeners about that. So when I was here at CMA Fest, um, I, I was actually booked on... Um, on the Nashville uh, Rising stage and um, Sirius XM, a rep from Sirius XM was there and we got to talking and just, I loved her so much. And so uh, she called my publicist and set up a, a feature for me to come on and we got to talk about the songs and, and this particular um, show is going to be very geared toward veterans and, and military families. And so that was a very cool element, but um, it was very, very fun to, to get to, be in the serious XM world for a second. But you just went past the veterans and military. Do you have some connection to it? My grandfather is a veteran. Was a veteran, um, okay. and beyond any of that, I just I feel like one of the things I got to do last year is I was a USO featured artist of the month, and we got to go to Fort Campbell and perform. And it was my first time on a military base, and I just I've always respected our military, but it was such an amazing experience to go and. And you're mostly sitting with families, spouses and kids, you know, their active duty partners are gone and um, and you get to just talk to them about what life is like for them and the appreciation they had for us coming to play music. And we were like, are you kidding me? That's like the least that we could do for you. So um, it was very cool that this particular episode of Sirius XM happened to be. Uh, focused on that. But how cool that you said that you basically got this opportunity because of CMA Fest. So it comes full circle with our discussion before about, you know, what are the benefits of playing there? Well, you can have someone from Sirius XM walk up to you and say, we'd like to do something more with you. That's right. That's, That's fantastic. Right. Absolutely. Wow. And those are the kind of things that 
I can't imagine you go into CMA Fest saying, pie in the sky would be really nice if I could walk out of here with this, this, and this. You know, how do you foresee Sirius XM approaching you, you and can't. saying, hey, yeah. we should have you on? You can't. You've just got to... You just got to go with the flow. You got to put yourself out there and be available. That's the key. So as someone who not only lives in the Sunshine State, but does travel a couple times a year up to Daytona, you are going to be returning as a headliner for, is it Kix Country Fest or is it KIX Country Fest in Daytona? I'm saying returning. So when did you previously do it? This will be my third time doing Kix. I did it last year. And then before that, I did it about four years prior to that. Um, and Kicks Country has been their radio station down there. They have just been unwavering in their support of us and playing our music and bringing us back as often as they can. I think that the reason we actually had such a long break is that we lived in Los Angeles at the time, and so it just uh. didn't make any kind of sense for us to keep having that be a fly date. So now that we're back in Nashville, it's been easier to get down there, and um, it's a, that's always a really good time. So when will this be that you'll go back there? This is the October 6th. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Coming soon. Circle yeah, your calendars. That's right. Wow, well, do you remember the first time that you played there, how you got that opportunity in the first place, being that you weren't living there? Yes, I can tell you that. I know exactly how. <laughs> um, I was actually, we were hired to come do a Labor Day weekend um, performance for the Rotary Club in Flagler Beach, Florida, which is about 30 minutes away. Were you living in Nashville? I was living in Los Angeles, but my my grandmother and my grandfather have lived in that part of Florida forever. My grandfather was a preacher there in the 60s, so my family's got really deep roots there, and my dad has been involved with Rotary there for a long time. Um, and St. so they Augustine, were right? near, very near St. Augustine, mm-hmm. yeah. And so um, my dad, they were saying, oh, we need a band. We want to do this huge event. And my dad was like, well, my daughter happens to have a band so they flew us out we had an amazing time and i literally flew back i landed in los angeles and the next morning i got a call from kicks country that said we'd like to bring you back in two weeks to do um the kicks country fest and that's how that started and we've been good friends ever since then okay what did i miss in there was somebody from kicks at that show they that must you have been it's a small you know these little small towns in florida wow. and word passes wow. i guess you know wow that's fantastic oh my gosh yeah you also did this is on an even bigger scale n- nothing against the kicks country yeah. fest but listeners check this out hannah did she toured the uk and ireland as the headliner of the rednecks and rhinestone festival yes that had to be totally cool. You want to know, speaking of like not knowing what opportunities could lead to other opportunities, this is a perfect example. So for everybody that's an artist out there that thinks you're doing a, a gig that's like really boo-boo, let me tell you how this happened. We were in Ireland on a radio promotion tour, and um, we were on our second tour to Ireland, and it was just my guitar player and I, because mostly radio and just acoustic, and so we didn't bring the whole band. And... Um, in between the radio stops, our agency there just set us up at very small, would be bar gigs for us, but pub gigs over there. And we were tired, and I was cranky, and I was jet lagged, and I didn't want to do it. And we showed up to the venue, and there was a soccer game on, and it was in overtime. So nobody was going to pay attention to a band, to let alone an acoustic act in the corner of this bar. And, you know... Like a good professional, I kept all of that buried inside and we <laughs> set up our sound system and 
And the, the owner of the venue came up and he was like, I'm so sorry, you guys. I have to push back your start time until after the soccer game ends because no one. And we, of course, we understood. He fed us. Really nice guy. Which you probably thought, good. I'd, I'd rather wait till it's over and not compete with oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So pay attention to absolutely. us. So he, you know, he fed us. He gave us some whiskey and good Irish fashion. And, um, you know, and we got up and we, we started our little acoustic set. And that owner, who had been so kind to us, and fortunately we were gracious back, just kind of had his eye on us and had his eye on us and all of a sudden the crowd that had been there for the soccer game they decided to stay and then it grew bigger and all the kids started to show up of these families you know in Ireland there's no age limit in the pubs you just come in you know they start you young and they're dancing and we get done with our little set our little two-hour acoustic set that I was such a pill about when we walked in and that owner walked up to us and said I promote one of the largest country music mm. festivals called the Rednecks and oh Rhinestones Festival. And I'd like to bring you guys back. Wow. And so four months later, the whole band got on a plane and we flew back to Ireland to be one of the headliners on that. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Let's just talk a little bit about the economics of all this in yeah. the fact that you said it was just me and my guitar player. Yes. So you play guitar. So why not save money and say, I'll just go do this by myself? Nobody really wants to hear me play the guitar, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can strum some chords. I can write some songs. I am, I by no means would would call myself anything beyond a like basically proficient guitar player. My lead guitar player in my band is like, I mean, I don't even have words. I mean, there's so many times we're performing acoustically and people just eyeballing his hands (laughs) because he's so amazing. And I feel like, let me just stay in my lane. I'm a vocalist. His name is Bruce as well. Let Bruce stay in his lane and just destroy that guitar. He's so good. And the combin, we've been together as a, as a band for 10 years. So Bruce and I just have a rapport on stage together that's, you can't fake. It just comes with time. And I think that really speaks to people too. Um, the money got saved in not bringing the rest of the band. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's why it was an acoustic tour the first time out. Well, in 2016... You put out a seven-song release called Turn It Up. Yes. I'm going to guess that you worked with Bruce on that because I was going to say, did you work on it with anyone or did you do it all on your own? I worked on it with uh, Dr. Ford, who's my producer. I worked on it with Bruce and I worked on it with my entire band. Turn It Up was penned by everybody in the band in a guitar, in a jam session on the guitars in our living room. And we wrote Turn It Up and uh, actually Dan was in the kitchen pouring a cup of coffee and Bruce was playing the musical hook and Dan said, I don't know. Hell yeah, turn it up. And that was it. He just, the, again, that was a song kind of wrote itself. And we toured the Turn It Up EP. That was actually the, the official release was in 2016, but we wrote that EP in like 2013 or 14. And we mm. toured it for probably three years. And that, um, we got several singles off of that and Turn It Up actually went number one on a station in Australia for a while. And it, it just, that, that kind of took on a life of its own. And we just sort of rode that as long as we possibly could. And, you know, to me, seven is a number that when I hear an EP, I'm thinking like four songs. And so you you said it very fast, but you said that EP. Yeah. And technically in 2018, you released your first full length album. That's right. Good Time. Yes. How many songs were on that? And, and talk about the making of that one too. Yeah. There were 11 songs on Good Time. Um, you know, and that, A Good Time was a long time in the making because the songs for the Turn It Up EP were written, like I said, in about 2013 and 14. So while we were obviously touring that EP, that album, we were writing other songs and other, other writers were pitching us songs like 
like a lady. And, um, and so we were collecting these other songs and I was writing and we were performing them and working them out live. And so by the time last year hit, I was so, I felt overdue in my soul for a new project. And so um, we only probably wrote three or four songs specifically for the Good Time album last year that were not already in place. We probably, most of the album was already in place before. Who can have songs pitched to them? Because when you get to a point where you say, I got to get something new out, and if you're someone that you say, I just don't really, I don't really like what I have in terms of my own original stuff, where where should a recording artist be in their career before they can start having people pitch songs to them? I mean, I had songs pitched to me really, really early in my career. The thing that you have to know is that you're not going to get someone's best work if you're an independent up-and-coming artist that nobody knows. If you sit down with a big songwriter, they are not going to pitch you the song that they're going to go pitch to Rascal Flatts or Keith Urban. Um, But the other thing to know is that, you know, things like Reverb Nation and and SoundCloud and all these places, there's tons of writers putting their stuff out that they want people to pick it up and cut it. Um, So I think that if you're kind of proactive about that, I I don't know that there's a lot of situations where you couldn't cut somebody else's song as long as they agreed to it and it was a good fit for you and be gentle with me i'm going to go on a limb here okay. <laughs> could someone show up at a writer's night in nashville listen to a few songwriter rounds and go i like that song i want to go ask that writer if i can cut it on my next album yes i've done that before absolutely yeah but you're hannah anders <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> not everybody knows that though <laughs> Yes, be brave. Absolutely. If you're at a round and someone plays something and it just hits your heart in a way that you're like, I have to sing this, you're going to run the risk that they're going to tell you, no, this is one of my favorites and I'm going to hold it. But maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they're going to say, or they may say to you, you know, I'm not going to let this one go, but I'd love to write with you. I mean, hey, that's Uh, a win, right? Um, But uh, one of the songs on the Good Time album is called Paint the Town. And, um, I heard it at a writer's round and a a friend of mine was performing it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love this song. And so we got done and I was like, I want to cut paint the town. And she said, okay. So thank you for making me look good. No, that's, that's a great, (laughs) that's great advice. Actually. (laughs) Listeners. I'm on location at the summer Nam show in Nashville with singer songwriter. I'm going to say it. Guitar player, (laughs) Hannah Anders. (laughs) Visit her official website at hannahanders.com. We will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And yes, absolutely, she's very much on social media. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, there will be links for all those as well. Just start at Mm hannahanders.com. Support her, buy her music on iTunes and Google Play. Sure, you can stream it on Spotify, but (laughs) put money in her pocket by buying it from iTunes and from Google Play. Thank you. And listeners, I would love it if you could do me a solid and post a review for this show, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating (laughs) on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to this show on, for that matter, provided that they are a platform that you can write reviews on. It only takes a minute or two, but it does help. So I'd very much appreciate you doing that for Now Hear This Entertainment Hannah, you headlined for Coyote Ugly's 14th anniversary celebration in Nashville. Yes. When was that? That was in November of last oh, year. Oh, okay. Recent. Yes. Recent. How, recent. Did, how does that come to be? That sounds like a good gig to get. It was an amazing gig to get. Um, that, little, that little girl inside of me that watched Coyote Ugly, the movie, was like trying to be, you know, very chill when I got that, that 
email but i was really like oh my god oh my god oh my god um the promoter for that reached out on our facebook page and said we've come across your band because actually my bass player was friends with one of the bartenders and he had said oh i play bass in this band and this is who we are and i guess they actually went and listened to us and it wasn't even by the grace of god that was not even a gig i had to fight for they were so awesome she literally reached out and said we want you so this is the budget this is the day can you do it the answer was yes. It all worked. It made sense. It was so much fun. That was such a fun but thing. But I think what you just said is still testimony to the fact that you never know. Yeah. You might, you might as well ask. And so for the bass player to say, hey, you know, I'm in this band, you never know until you ask. And as we all know, the worst they can say is no. So right. go ahead and give it a shot. That's right. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. Well, this is really cool. Dodge Ram Trucks in Atlanta commissioned you to write a song for their newest campaign. That That's really different. But I'm, I'm sure that a lot of listeners want to know, how did you get on their radar? I don't know. To this day, I don't know. I, I, got, a, I got a call from, uh, from a lady that worked for... It's been, a, it's been a year or two now since I've done that, so let me think about that for a second. I want to say she worked for Comcast, and she was the person in charge of commissioning that commercial for Dodge, so she didn't work for Comcast like tech support she worked for yeah, like, yeah. she was like <laughs> deep into Comcast and um, and Dodge was going to do a giveaway uh, series where um, you could enter to win a trip to Nashville and I want to say to go to CMA Fest actually and so they were looking for a songwriter to compose um, a song behind their trucks you know running through the mud in this commercial and um, if, if you guys check us out we tend to kind of have a harder edge to our music so I think we were a good fit and um, and I really just sat down and that was Bruce myself and, and Dan uh, the producer and we just kind of knocked that out and put together a really riffy guitar heavy little tune that got put behind these trucks and That's you're like so yeah cool. we wrote that that's so cool that's so cool yeah well listeners since the bruce that she keeps referring to isn't here the bruce that you're used to listening <laughs> to is going to tell you about the boulder creek guitar that he plays that yes. i play boulder creek is my choice an acoustic guitar that i just love to play and it's not just me like you know don't take my word on it take the word of lee bryce country star lee bryce he plays a boulder creek guitar larry gatlin plays a boulder creek guitar there's been a lot of guests on this show who've talked about Boulder Creek guitars, I keep saying guitar, but they do guitars, basses, and ukuleles. Sarah McLaughlin plays a Boulder Creek ukulele. And there's so many people that have been on this show talking about why they love it. It's due large in part to the suspended bracing system that makes Boulder Creek guitars so unique. It gives it a really great sound. They're good-looking guitars, but of course, at the end of the day, it boils down to what do they sound like. Get on bouldercreekguitars.com, B-O-U-L-D-E-R. Take a look at the suspended bracing system. They have videos there. Episode 241 of this show, Jeff Stramitz, the CEO of Boulder Creek, talked about their products. And he also talked about being a regular gigging musician like a lot of you who listen to this show. That's episode 241. I'll put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. But for the time being, look at Boulder Creek Guitar's website. And if you're serious enough about your guitar playing that you want to have a conversation about having an acoustic guitar custom built for you, write to me at podcast at nhte.net, and I will personally connect you to Jeff Stramitz to start that conversation. I just want to give you one more chance, Hannah. You talked about your vocal studio. What else do you offer that 
the listeners might know about. Um, did you say when you opened it? Is it an actual storefront? How can people find it? More yeah. information, all that stuff. Um, so when I very first uh, started my vocal studio, I actually did have an office on Music Row back a while ago. I'm not going to say how long ago. It's been a while. Um, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, I actually converted um, the second bedroom into my office and my studio. And I taught out of my home studio in Los Angeles for almost 10 years. Mm. And um, having just moved back to Nashville, um, I decided to just do the same thing in my I turned one of the rooms into my studio and my office, and um, it's better for me. It allows me in between things to be at my piano and my guitar and all my stuff, and I can work. And um, I, I teach so many people now via Skype because so many of my clients in Los Angeles stayed with me when I moved. So that has really ballooned into clients all over the world. I teach them in London and mm. L.A. and New York. And so uh, for me, it just doesn't make any kind of sense to go sit in an office and be on my computer. So... Um, I'm pretty, I, I've got, sit in an outside office, I guess. So I've just kind of set it up in my, in my house and it's great and it's cozy. And I actually feel like for singing, especially people tend to be a little bit more comfortable that way. You know, it's a pretty vulnerable thing to come and do. Well, one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times is living in Los Angeles. We're yeah. about out of time, but just the 25 words or less version. Yeah. When and why did you move to LA and when and why did you move back to Nashville? Needed a change. Wanted to kind of do that while I didn't have much tying me down anywhere picked up moved across the country it was super scary I think everybody should do that once in their life um and then really grew to love it it was where the Hannah Anders band was formed I was there a long time it was just time to come back it was just you can't be in country music and be that far out of the epicenter So when did you come back here it's been a year and a half now okay okay and so the rest of 2019 holds what in store for you? Yeah, so we got a new single. It'll be out in September. We're between two songs, so I won't drop that yet. It'll be out. It'll be out. Probably be out by the time we're talking about this. And um, we've got a big run in October. We're going down to Kicks, as you mentioned. Then we're going to shoot all the way up to Connecticut. We've got some shows all the way up the coast, and then um, probably headed to London for two weeks in November for a radio tour. Lazy River is climbing the charts there quite happily. I think we're at number 11 this week, so we'll go out and promote that. And then before you know it, it'll be Christmas. Christmas and we'll be at Winter Nam. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, we're going to close today with the remix version of your song Lazy River. Yes. So before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this. The okay, remix. Okay, so Lazy the remix River. was heard by Big Smo. If you guys are into country rap or hip hop, Big Smo is is the king of that game over there. And he heard Lazy River, the original. And we got introduced by a mutual friend. He loved it, um, decided, asked me if, if we could collaborate on it. I was, of course, happy and honored to do that. He's a super talented guy. Um, we sat down and had a writing session, and he wrote his verse. We got in the studio, and the Lazy River remix was born. And I was so happy that Lazy River got another life this summer. I felt like... We released it last summer. We were on a really big deadline to get it out by CMA. It felt kind of rushed. I'd only lived, been back in Nashville four or five months at that point. So it was, it was for me, it was really heartwarming that somebody else loved it as much as I did. And we got to kind of rebreathe life into it for another round. So Lazy River Remix, it debuted on the iTunes country charts on the first day it was out. And Taste of Country premiered it. And it's just been an awesome, awesome thing. So Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Hannah, great to meet you. It was great Thanks to meet for your you too. time. Thank you. Appreciate you doing this. And thank you for all the information that you're so willing to share with the listeners and be so helpful. Appreciate Anytime. It. Best of luck for the rest of Thanks. 2019. Sounds like it's going to be a 
fun but busy yes. end of the year. <laughs> yes, same to you. Thank, Thank you, you so listeners. much. That'll do it for this week's episode. And now hear this entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player Hannah Anders. Visit her official website at hannahanders.com. And again, we will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then engage with her on social media. So that means like her Facebook That's page. Right. Follow her on Twitter. Yes. Follow her on Instagram. Yes. Let her know that you heard her and her music. And now hear this entertainment. Buy her music from iTunes or Google Play. Yes, you can stream it on Spotify. I'm sure she'd love it if you follow her on there. But do support her by purchasing downloads of her music. Don't forget about the Vocal Studio. If you're here in the Nashville area or if you're abroad and you want to do it over Skype, do get in touch with her to learn more about that, the services that she has, and how she can help you with your singing. Again, I would love it if you could do me a favor and post a review for this show, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you listen to the show on, as long as they do have an ability to leave reviews through whatever platform that is. It only takes a minute or two, but it does help very much, so I would appreciate you doing that for Now Hear This Entertainment. In the meantime, thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out with another song from Hannah Anders. This is the one she just talked about. It's the remix of Lazy River. I'm gonna let my cares and worries wash 
Those big. 